0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. So we're in Acts chapter 18, and the title of our message today is Creating Space. Creating Space. Now, if you are a sports fan, you know that in order for a pass to be completed, a football pass to be completed, the receiver has to create some space. He has to get open to allow the ball to get in there, right? He's got to create some space. Maybe he pushes off. Maybe he's just really fast. Same thing is true in basketball. You've got to create space in order to receive the ball. It's so true spiritually as well. There's got to be space in our lives to receive what God Wants to give us and our family. A lot of you know that uh, we've managed to launch our kids effectively, and by that I mean we've launched them to other parts of the country. Our closest child is fifteen hundred miles away. I mean, how could that be? Um, and as as we t- we think about that, you know, we have some in Colorado, we have some in New York, and um, Julie and I think about that. We're like, you know. I think we're, we're probably closer than ever, wouldn't you say? Um, because when we're together, it's very, very sweet and very intense. Um, when we're apart, we communicate electronically like all of you do. But I think that space, the distance that's been created because of their pursuit of God's call in their life and, and the careers in their lives um, has allowed them to build their own world and to follow Jesus on their own. When we're not there, when we're not checking on them, we can't see if they went to church that day, we don't know if they read their Bible, and I think the space for them has given them a place for God to build a real relationship in their own lives. As parents, it's the most terrifying thing in the world when your kids leave town, isn't it? What are they going to do? Who are they going to be? And it's, it's amazing to see when you allow space and that God fills that space, and we're so grateful uh, that he's done that in our family. And so today, we're going to talk about Paul as... God uses him, and God also creates space where you might not expect it. Um, This is uh, Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. God's word says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And let me pause there. Let me just set the context, because Paul has been in Athens. Remember, he had the debate with the Stoics and the Epicureans, and he he talked about Christ and the unknown God in Athens. And there was, you know, there was a little bit of success, not a lot, um, kind of discouraging, kind of difficult. And uh, Paul leaves there, and he heads down to Corinth. And he had come to Athens from Berea, where he had been run out of town, from um, Thessalonica, where he'd been run out of town, from Philippi, where he'd been run out of town. And he gets to, Af- gets to Athens, and it's okay. There's some success, but he gets, you know, he pretty much has to leave again. Excuse me. How many of you have a cold, like, all the time now? Raise your hand. I don't know. I feel like it's just one after another. I feel pretty good today. Um, but... Um, Anyway, so he's, he heads down to Corinth. Corinth is about 50 miles away. Corinth is a very important port because it sits on a little isthmus, a little bit of land that connects the Peloponnesus with the rest of the mainland. It's a big word. just means one section of land with another. And, and it connects. There's a little three-and-a-half-mile place where Corinth sits, and it's between the Aegean Sea and another part of the Mediterranean. And as you come in there... Ships would unload at Corinth, and they would, they would take the, the, the freight overland over to the, to the Mediterranean on the other side of Corinth. So all this freight is constantly passing through Corinth, and it is as oftentimes as a shipping town like that, a port city, uh, can be, let's just say, a little bit wild and a little bit pagan. There's people from all over the world there, and it's been called by one commentator the Las Vegas of Greece and Europe at the time. So Paul leaves Athens. He makes about a two-day trip to Corinth, verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. Now, it's interesting that here is Aquila and Priscilla. They've, they've been uh, business owners probably in Athens, and uh, they have had to leave Rome because Claudius the emperor had kicked all the Jews out of Rome. There had been major disturbances, and it was over, as some uh, historians call it, a battle over Crestus, which is probably a Latin misspelling of Christ. So there's this debate between Jews and Christian Jews who got to Rome, no doubt, because they had been run out of Jerusalem and delivered their faith to this place, to Rome. And as a result, there's this that Claudius kicks them out. I don't want disturbance. This was common in Rome. If you cause problems, they make you leave. And so as a result of disturbances over Christ, Priscilla and Aquila moved from Rome down to Corinth. Let me say this, always pay attention when God causes you to move or when events, let's just say this regular events of life, you have to move, you have to go to a different place. Pay attention to what God might be doing in that move. You've all, I bet everyone in this room has moved. Uh, Very few people actually were born and raised and grew up here except for Richard Holt. Everybody else pretty much has moved here. And you know what it means to move. Always pay attention in the move, what God might be doing in that transition. And so they came to Corinth. And so Paul goes to see them. And because, verse three, he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, (coughs) excuse me, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Here's Paul. He hears about Priscilla and Aquila. They have a tent-making business, and it turns out that was Paul's trade as well. See, Paul was a guy who could make a living. He could make a living on his own. He had a skill. Um, For 17 years of my life, I was employed, uh, other than being a pastor. Before God called me into ministry, I worked in engineering and sales. I'm really glad I got to do that. Sometimes I wish I had come right out of school, gone to seminary and been in ministry all these years, but I'm grateful that I learned a skill. I learned to make a living. I learned to work every day. Um, Excuse me. (coughs) Julie's gonna take over for me in just a minute. Um, So Paul finds them. He sees they have the same skill as him. They're Jewish Um, probably at this point they know Jesus. We're not told. There's no record of a conversion, but it feels like they probably came from Rome because they were Christians and they're in Corinth. And Paul connects with them and he begins to work with them and he stays with them. An important connection is made. And as a result, Paul is able to reason with the Jews and the Greeks in the synagogues on the Sabbath. So he's working all week and on Sunday he comes and works. He's bivocational at this point. Sunday he comes and reasons. And remember, they, he came to the synagogue. A, a city that had 10 Jewish families could form a synagogue, which was kind of an outpost for Jewish worship. And as a result, Paul goes to, the, goes to the synagogue in order to reason with the Jews and Greeks. It's interesting, both synagogues do have non-Jews who are interested in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse five. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. Now, if you don't know Silas and Timothy or Paul's cohorts, they're his associates, they've been traveling with him, and uh, they got separated at Berea, and Paul had gone down to Athens, and Timothy and, and Silas have followed him and, and they've come along to be with him and no doubt encourage him and, and other places in the New Testament says they brought a gift from Macedonia. And that probably resulted in Paul being able to not work quite so much on tents and actually be able to share his message more and kind of ramp up his ability to share Christ uh, with the Jews. Now, it's important to note here, it feels a lot like Paul is running maybe out of gas a little bit. He is starting to get discouraged. He's starting to feel like, man, I don't know if this is having any effect. Um, And it's so great that Silas and Timothy catch up with him here. He left Athens kind of abruptly. He didn't even wait for Silas and Timothy. Silas and Timothy catch up with him. They bring him a gift, and Paul's able to do more of what he was doing before. Verse six. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. See, so they began to oppose him, to revile him, to really be abusive towards him, probably to make fun of him. This is ridiculous. I can't, this is crazy. This man doesn't know what he's talking about. And, and he realizes, I'm not going to get anywhere with these people. I've done all I can. I shake out my garments. In other words, it, it's a sign that I've done all I can and it's a, it's a way to say I can't help you anymore. It's almost like, Maybe you have a, a friend or a relative you've been trying to get to take their blood pressure medicine. And you're like, if you don't take it, I can't help you. I've told you, I've put it in one of those weekly things, you know, those 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 which I think are really great. And but every time I come over, I still have all the pills in there, you know. So if you don't take it, your blood pressure's I can't help you, right? You ever do get to that place? I've done all I can, and that's really where Paul is. I, I've done all I can. I shake my garments out against you. Your blood is on your own head. I've I've done what I needed to do. I've explained to you over and over again. And now I'm going to go to the Gentiles in Corinth. I would love for you to respond, but obviously you're not going to respond. And so Paul makes a move. Verse 7. And he left there. And he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And get this, his house was next door to the synagogue. I love this. How far does he go? He says, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. It feels like he's going to at least go across town, doesn't it? It feels like I'm at least going to. No, what does he do? I'm going next door. I'm going next door to the synagogue to a guy's house who's a believer And I'm going to allow there to be some space between us. I love that. Sometimes it's better to provide some space. Sometimes a frontal assault is really not that effective. And we need to back off a little bit. And maybe it's just next door. They already know what Paul thinks, right? Paul continues to teach. He continues to preach. He continues to share. The people in the synagogue know what he's saying. He's still within reach, but he's not right there in their living room. See, sometimes it's better to have a neutral site than play an away game, you know? It's better to have some neutral territory, some neutral ground. So Paul goes next door. Verse 8. Crispus, the inventor of potato chips just want to make sure y'all are listening. I mean, honestly. Really? I can't read that name without laughing. It just makes me laugh, you know, because in England, potato chips are known as crisps. And I'm like, you know, I'd, I'm really dying for some potato chips right now. Um, but you'll be fine. Just hang on. The Lord's Supper's coming. Um, oh, you shouldn't make fun of that, Steve. Sorry. Um, let's get back to the text. Crispus. Great name. Um, The ruler of the synagogue, get this, believed in the Lord. Together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Get this, the the synagogue that just rejected Paul and he moved next door and continued teaching, the ruler of that synagogue comes over and says, hey, by the way, I've been hearing now I want to believe. There's power in, in space. There's some power in providing some distance. I love how Luke just matter-of-factly says, oh, and by the way, Paul knew was next door and the ruler of the synagogue that hated him and rejected him got saved. Sometimes we just need to provide some space. And his whole household, and a lot of Corinthians as well, and it's interesting that the word Corinthians, in that day, if you were to live like a Corinthian, you were to live like a total pagan. Total godless person. Kind of like saying a lot of South Floridians came to Christ, right? I love South Floridians. Um, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with the entire household. And many of the Corinthians here Paul believed and were baptized. Paul has amazing success. He just went next door. He just went next door. Now it feels like at this time Paul should be encouraged, right? Everything should be great. I'm seeing success. Yeah, the Jews oppose me, but that always happens. Hey, but the ruler of the synagogue, he's received Christ. These Corinthians are responding. Life is good. I'm going to have a great ministry. Things are good, but not so much. Everything apparently has been wearing on Paul, and he's ready to go. He's like, you know what? It's time for me to head back to Antioch, my sending church. Um, Need to go back and report to them, and uh, I'm tired I mean, it's great. I'm glad of what God is doing, but I'm, I, I just gotta. And that's how it feels, and the reason I say that is look at this next verse of what God says to him. God addresses his heart, and you can know Paul and know his heart by what God says to him because God knows exactly what he needs to hear. Look at verse nine. It says, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Wait a minute, I didn't know Paul was afraid. God knows. Probably no one else knew. God knows. Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. I love that. Remember when Elijah... Got so frustrated after his massive victory, and he had called down fire from heaven. And he got—he said, "God, no one. There's nobody left but me." And God says, "No, actually, I got seven hundred. I haven't even told you about." That's how I think Paul feels. I'm tired. This isn't working. God says, very, very quietly, confidently, "Don't be afraid. Go on speaking." For I am with you. Now, Paul knows that. And God is saying, I I am with you in what you're doing. I haven't abandoned you. I'm right beside you. I'm inside you. I'm working through you. Sometimes we just need to hear that, amen? I'm with you. Oh, and by the way, no one will attack you to harm you. You're Like, wait a minute, I know Paul's story. He gets attacked a lot. But you know what? No one can really harm you if you're in Christ. No one can take you out of his hand. No one can take away what he's given you. No one can take away your incredible future. No one can drive God out of your life. Paul was about ready to leave. Paul was discouraged. But God spoke. And know this, he can speak to you in that same way. He knows your language. He knows what it takes for you to hear him. We need to be open to him speaking to us. Verse 11. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He stays 18 months and he teaches them. And he helps them understand, how do you follow Christ? How does this work? What is this theology? All this stuff that he's writing letters to all these other churches about. He's teaching in the house of Titius Justice. He's telling people what it means to follow Jesus. And you know who he's telling? He's telling a couple named Priscilla and Aquila that are living with them. Or he's living with them. They're learning. They're growing. And after Paul does ultimately leave Corinth because of the Jews opposing him before uh, Galileo. They actually travel with him. And Aquila and Priscilla, they travel with Paul to Ephesus. And we found out in 1 Corinthians 16, that they actually host the church in their home in Ephesus. And they have an incredible impact. Something went wrong. Please try again. Okay, so now something went wrong, and we're going to try again, and I have to tell you, the reason I'm using this iPad today is because I forgot my glasses this morning, so you know what we're going to do? We're just going to close this up, and I'm going to put on my glasses, and we're going to read from the actual Word of God. See, everybody's awake now, praise God. Um, I do, I do. Man, ever since I, uh, now that I'm in my 30s, I need these. Um, A little beyond 30. All right, so Aquila and Priscilla, help him. They learn, they grow, they develop, they travel with Paul to Ephesus, they host a church in their home, and then one day, a young fiery, talented preacher named Apollos shows up. And he starts preaching, and he has great influence, but his theology is is incomplete. It says he only really knew the baptism of John, and what that means is kind of hard to get, but probably he didn't understand about being filled with the Spirit, may not have really understood grace. He knew Jesus, but he didn't know the whole story. And it says in verse 26 of chapter 18, says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila, incidentally, notice that Priscilla's name is mentioned first, which is very odd. And it happens a lot when they talk about Priscilla and Aquila, which shows that Priscilla was really an important person, the wife here. Really, probably on the level of Lydia, someone that really had a key role. And uh, Luke likes to point that kind of thing out, that women are very important. Anyway, just a side note. Um, But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and beat him senseless. No, sorry. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Here's the scene. Guy comes in. He's preaching. He's going on and all, he's, he's doing great, except he doesn't tell the whole story. And because Paul had heard from God and had stayed and taught for 18 more months, Priscilla and Aquila were able to say, hey, Apollos, let's, let's go to lunch. You see... It's not just about being baptized and repenting, it's about being filled with the Spirit. Because that's what Jesus delivered. We'll actually see in the next chapter how people didn't even know there was a Spirit that would fill them. So he, he's, they're, they're telling him something that would enhance his ministry tremendously and complete it, and would help really, literally thousands of people because Apollos would go on to be almost as well-known as Paul. See, Paul had played the long game. And they had stayed. He had stayed where God wanted him, even though he was discouraged. Because of that, Priscilla and Aquila were able to help a preacher be what he needed to be. Help enhance his ministry. So let me ask you today, are you a little bit discouraged about trying to help people know Jesus? Maybe you're saying, Steve, I tried that long ago and it just doesn't work for me and really I just come to church and I do the best I can. Listen, surely there's somebody that you'd like like to see receive the amazing gift that Jesus has. To see them quit trying to be so good and trying to earn salvation, rather rest in the grace of Jesus and live a, a life of love and response. Surely that's part of your heart. And maybe you've been pushing hard with somebody. Maybe it's time to change your approach. Let me give you three things. First of all, it may be time to move next door. It may be time to provide some space. To change the venue. You know, the meeting room makes a difference, doesn't it? Sometimes a coffee shop is way better than an office or even a church. Sometimes an office is necessary for a meeting, and it's a serious meeting. Sometimes you have to have a conference room for a presentation. But listen, sometimes we just need to back off a little bit. Sometimes there needs to be some space to allow some volition to grow, some desire. When our kids were little, um, we played Monopoly sometimes, And uh, one of my children, one time as we were playing Monopoly, wanted to buy a boardwalk for me. And one of my children, Sarah, said, I'll give you $600. I said, 800. She said, 700. And I said, 900. She goes, wait a minute, you're going the wrong way. I go, 1,000, 1,100. 1,100. And she got really not happy with me. And maybe that's why she moved far away. I don't know. You think? Could be. Uh, No. Sarah's the greatest. (laughs) But what I had done is I had created some space to draw her where I wanted to go, right? Sometimes we need to have some space. We need some space for God to move. We always want to see God do in someone's life what only he can do. If I can convince you to follow Jesus without God's help, then someone else can unconvince you. I need to see God move in your life. I need to see you say to me, you know, I've, I've felt God drawing me, and he's been drawing me for years. He's used all these people, and now I'm ready. That, that's what I want to hear, honestly. I don't want to hear that I convinced you. I want to hear that I helped maybe interpret what God is doing, made you aware of the urgency of the moment up to you, understand that he is the only way, but it's God that's going to have to do it. And I need to open up some space. Maybe God's opened up some space in your life right now. Maybe that's what today is about for you. God has opened up some space and he's drawing you into his life, wanting to give you the gift of salvation. Would you respond And if you're trying to reach somebody, maybe you need to move next door. They already know what you believe. You're still close by. Maybe they just need to have a little volition and desire to receive the gift of salvation. So number one, if you're struggling, if you're maybe discouraged about your impact on the world, open up some space. Keep talking, but maybe open up some space, move next door. Second, ask God to affirm or adjust your way, your path, your method. I love how God affirms Paul. He's decided to leave, really. I believe he's decided to leave, and God says, no, you need to stay. I think it's a very important prayer to pray. God, would you tell me if I'm making the wrong decision? And be ready, because he knows how to reach you. God, I, I think this is where you want me to go. I think this is where you want me to be. I think this is where you want me to move. I think this is where you want me to be involved. I think this is the job you want me to have. I think this is the influence you want me to have, but God, I want to hear from you. If this is not right, please straighten me out. I'm so grateful. I've prayed that prayer before, and like one time within about 30 seconds, someone showed up to say basically, no, that's the wrong thing to do. They didn't even know they were saying that, but God spoke to them. A couple times when we've moved, God has affirmed our move. That right after we made the decision to move and we knew this was God's will, we found out that there was an opportunity to stay where we just were within a month. We would have never left Houston, Texas, for example, if it had been a month's difference. God's timing matters. And when we pray, it's with open hands. God, affirm or adjust. I'm good either way. I just want to make sure I'm within your will. I love that last line of the model prayer, right? lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sometimes we just kind of throw that one away, right? Just lead us not into, deliver us from evil, because I know, God, you wouldn't lead me into temptation. What it's saying is, God, keep me on the right track. Keep me on the right path. I don't want sin to get me distracted or lead me away from what you want to do in my life. He's so faithful to do that if we'll make ourselves available to him. So many times, like, we know what to do. We're going this way. This is how it is. God, let us serve you as we're going the way we want to go. Rather than saying, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll stay wherever you want me to stay. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Pray that prayer, God. Would you affirm or adjust my my path? I want to be right in the middle of where you want me. (coughs) Third, play the long game. Play the long game. Today matters. We need to be urgent in our presentation. These people understand that they may not have another day. But look for the people you influence to influence people for years and years to come. Play the long game. Sometimes we can get depressed and discouraged by, well, I'm only having influence over one person. What about that person has influence over two people? What about if those people have influence over two people each? I mean, just think about what influence you can have by influencing one person. And you may never see the results in your life, honestly. That's why the question is, am I faithful? That's why for us as a church, our focus in this year is really developing people that God has called to lead. We want to see people develop who get it, who want it to be influencers, who want to help raise up other leaders. That's what we have to do if we're going to be effective to move the needle of lostness in Palm Beach County and the world. That's why we have a children's ministry, amen? That's why we have a youth ministry. That's why we have a school that reaches families with kids who are never going to make a decision while they're with us because they're only with us until they're five, but those seeds are going to be planted. That's why that matters. We want to play the long game. I'm grateful that... This church is 111 years old. 111 years down at the Sunday house on Swinton Avenue in uh, downtown Delray Beach that people started a church, and they played the long game. And we have the opportunity to be here as a church because of what someone did a long time ago. And we have the opportunity to share Christ. Yeah, it matters what you do today. God may want you to move next door. Ask him to affirm or adjust what you're doing, but look forward to the long game. What is he going to do through the people you're influencing, even if it's just a small influence, even if it's just over one or two people? Play the long game. Now, Today, we're going to have the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. You say, well, what, how does that apply? Well, here's how it applies. We celebrate the table to say, Jesus, we're all in, because Jesus played the long game. He invested in his followers, and he gave them this celebration, these elements to say, this is a symbol of what I've done for you. This is why what you do matters. Remember me. This church is about Jesus. It's not just about the church. The church points to Jesus and delivers Jesus. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. This is my body given for you, broken for you. This is my blood. Now today, you may not have received that gift of salvation and you don't need to come down and participate, but you're, I'm glad you're here. I'd love to talk with you after our time today. Today, I'd love to help you receive this gift if that's what Jesus is drawing you to. Wouldn't you love to know that your sins are forgiven, that things are right between you and God, the debt has been paid. I'd love to talk to you after we're finished today. But for those of you who have received the gift of salvation, those of you who have been baptized by immersion after that, you're welcome to join us here in just a moment. After I pray, we examine our hearts, come forward, receive the elements, return to your seat, and we'll take them all together in just a few moments. So as I pray, I want a couple of our deacons to come forward to be ready to serve. Would you bow with me?